Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that is one light this week. My name is Tosin, I am your host up in Coventry near the Midlands, it's the other way around, and and joining me on the Isle of Wight today is Sharon. Hello. And unfortunately, we do not have a Sean this week to say a hiya, because uh, Sean has, he's recently been taken into the hospital with what, a perforated appendix. Perfect appendix, yes. Which came on all of a sudden. I think we've, we recorded the podcast two weeks ago. He seemed to be okay for a while, but then a couple of days later, next thing we know, Sean sent us a picture on our WhatsApp group of him in a hospital gown. And we're like, what? <laughs> and it was a picture that I hadn't seen the whole day because I was busy doing stuff. And then I got to the end of the day, picked up my phone, and I was like, oh, what the? What, what, what's going on? <laughs> but Sharon, you have, you've, had a, you've had a chance to speak to Sean in his hospital. Yes. And and uh, so tell give us give us a Sean report. How's he doing? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, as you say, last week you got taken poorly with um, stomach pain. So went into the hospital and they said you got perforated appendix and you're, you're, it's coming out this afternoon. So he went in, had the op, and I went to see him the day after. I went I went up to the hospital and visited him, and he was he was feeling a bit droopy, but they were saying they just they're just checking his bloods and they're seeing how he is. And then as the weekend progressed, basically he's. They haven't liked his blood work, so he's still been a bit poorly. But I spoke to him on the phone today, and he said for the first time he's beginning to feel better. Oh, that's good. And I took him some books along because he did. First of all, he texted me saying, "I'm in hospital. I'm going to be here for at least the weekend." This was last weekend. Yeah. He said, "Oh, can you bring me a couple of books, and then I might, you know, when I feel like it, I might do some reading." So I took him some books, and today he said, "You know what? I might actually get around to picking up those books." <laughs> <laughs> Because he's just yeah he's a, he has been a bit of a poorly boy, um, and but today he said he felt he was beginning to feel better. He has he's st- he ate for the first time today. Oh nice! And he's been able to drink something for the first time today. Oh. Otherwise he's all been on drips and on everything else. So he's he's resigned to the fact that he may be in there for another weekend. Yeah. But he was definitely feeling a bit brighter. Yeah. So so Sean Sean um Sean if you're listening to this we just want to say get well soon you are missed. And we will do our very best to make sure that what what this what this particular episode of the podcast is missing in in excitement and puppy dog sort of like you know excitement about movies will make up for with coherence. So <laughs> <laughs> we we will do our best to we'll do our best to, to to try and do that. I mean, it will not make up for it, but we will do our we'll do our best to try we'll, that. We'll have a go. So the last time we were on here, we were talking. The last thing we well, I had a massive rant about how greedy film studios are and how they're refusing to accept that they have to make less money, which has led to things like the closing of Cineworld Cinemas, the entire Cineworld Cinemas and Picture House chain in the UK indefinitely. We still have Odeon going on weekends and half term throughout the Odeon close to me is is open throughout half term, and that meant that on the Isle of Wight where you and Sean live, we were going to have pretty much no films that was that was it for the rest of 2020 no yeah. films and the only way we could see anything is if you managed to go over to another um another cinema which is the commodore cinema on the other side of the island in ride sean That's said it. it's an independent yeah, an independent cinema sean said that he didn't reckon that he would do it but today you actually decided to you know 
take your courage to the sticking place and go check out the check out the Commodore, didn't you? I did. Uh, yeah, I went there this afternoon. It was oh, well, I didn't have a lot of choices about the film times. It was one o'clock or three o'clock, and it was like <laughs> take your pick. <laughs> So I went in the air. It was in the afternoon. Yeah, well, the thing is, the thing is uh, at, at the moment, I guess that's the case. It's like, hey, you want to see films in cinema? Yeah, then this is the time. What? <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do, whinge? <laughs> yeah, they're a little independent. They have three screens. Um, and it's the cinema's been there for 100 years or more. So it's a, a, a quite a vintage old. And yeah. the seats are, compared to what you're used to in like a, a multiplex or in one of these multinational chains or whatever they are, the seats are like half the size that you're probably used to. So yeah. when you're in, you're in. And then you and even though I'm five foot tall, my knees were touching the seat in front. <laughs> oh wow. Oh good lord. And that, that... That, and so if I sat up bolt upright, I had a little bit of knee room. Um, but if I sort of relaxed slightly, I could feel my knees touching the Okay, you know, you can, now, now this, this, now it is beginning because I've been in that cinema once, and it's beginning to become clear to me why Sean doesn't like that cinema because Sean is over six foot. <laughs> yeah, and he's a lounger. When he's in the cinema, he may start. When I've been in the cinema with him, he may start sat up, arms on the arms of the chair, and as he gets more relaxed, he slowly sinks. And so <laughs> uh, he will be by the time the film's halfway through, he'll be. You may, I may just sort of. His, the top of his head would be level with like an elbow, <laughs> so he would be like re- per- proper recumbent. Yeah. So he does like to be on the front row where he more or less can be fully stretched out. Yeah. So I can understand that he would not like to be in the Commodore. <laughs> in oh. the Commodore. All Saying right. that it was a, f- the experience was was Muna was, for me it was fine. Okay. All right. The only cripple but... I had. Yeah, the only cripple you had. Was, um, we were given numbered seats, bearing in mind we are in the days of COVID and in the yeah. days of um, social distancing. Yep. And my seat was, I chose it online beforehand and I made sure there was no one else in my row. Yep. There was a bit of space around me. I got out there and I, there, my row was full except for my seat. <laughs> They'd sold every single ticket in my row. And I said, um, my seat is there, <laughs> but I'm not going to climb over three people to get to it. And then sit in between two strangers e. when there's, there was no gap in between. So I actually sat in a different row altogether. And I thought, if someone asks me to move, I'll move later. But I'm not climbing over four, three strangers to sit yeah. between yeah. another set of strangers. Yeah, the the, uh, I mean, in, the in the day in the days of COVID, the whole sort of like r- squeezing past people while while you know like you know presenting your bum in their face that that is just that's like the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing right now. We just- this is does not going to happen. And they were both, they all had their packets of like pick and mix and their popcorn as well. I'm thinking, there's no way am I going to be sitting in between two strangers while you're eating pick and mix and popcorn. Okay, okay. Uh, just before we go, because I know I'm really, really terrible at this, but for anybody who might be listening to this for the very, very, very first time, you might be wondering Netflix Cinema, what does it do? We try and do what it says in the tin. Now, usually usually in days where there isn't a pandemic on where one of us isn't in the hospital where one of us hasn't decided to go become a dad and therefore not make it to the cinema for a while in those days in those halcyon days what we would do is we would go to the cinema each week and we would see up usually about three films three films in the cinema we would watch three films at home on netflix or other streaming platforms and then we would come back and we would rate them all out of five and we would say this is who's won this week. Out of five, this is where money has been better spent this week. Either Netflix or cinema, hence the title. 
So that's what we usually do. So at the moment, we are still figuring out exactly what we're going to be left with when it comes to the film watching landscape. And it changes week to week. So it's a bit of a potluck. <laughs> it's a lucky dip. You see what you get. <laughs> you see what you get when you go to the cinema. It's like, was there actually a cinema open this week? Did we manage to make it anywhere? So that's what usually happens on the show. So now we are going to kick off with cinema and we're going to find out what film it is that uh, Sharon got to see at the Commodore Cinema and Ride. But before we got there, because I know the last time we were really, really kind of despairing about the state of cinema and we were despairing as to whether cinema was going to survive this and whether they're what they're going to be in like you went to a cinema that was so packed that you were worried about getting close to other people or had enough people in it for you to get so how many people were in this cinema when you went there um it was not full because i was in a row that i managed to find a row that was empty but i would say there were 30 plus people in there all right small the greening in ride a lot of families um, so it was, probably, I'm trying to think number-wise. Yeah, because it's half-term, isn't it? It's half-term. So 30-plus. It could even be as many as 50 people in there uh, because it's a, there's a small screen anyway. Um, there are 10, the seats are 5 and 5. And so, yeah, you, you could have um, over definitely over 30, but I would say probably around about between 30 and 50 in there. What did you think the capacity of that screen was? The capacity is probably... 120. Oh, no, no. Now, that sounds like a normal screening to me. Yeah. Like, like those numbers sound... I have been, even before COVID, I have been in cinemas watching films, not even in the middle of the day, where there's fewer people than that watching the film. So, so... Okay. So, no, no. Uh, I think uh, I think they're going to be doing all right out of this, um, the Commodore ride, because people still want to go to the cinema, and so they were they have they were showing five films today. In a normal week, they would normally only show sort of two or three, but they had five films on. Oh wow! And a lot of the films that would you know would be the smaller releases, but yeah, they were, and there were people in the foyer as I was coming out waiting to go into the next film. So they were. They were turning. They were ticking over. All right. So, so all the film studio heads who are listening, who who we know, obviously listen to us. All the film studio heads. You see, you see, there <laughs> is there is an appetite for it. People will brave things. They will wear their masks. They will go to the cinema. So start releasing films. <laughs> although, uh, although, play uh, your part. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, play your part. Although, we'll see what happens with all this tier one, tier two, tier three lockdown, yes. mini lockdown, localized lockdown. Uh, I can't believe it's not a lockdown. Uh, all the different versions, all the yeah. versions. Oh, now that's what I call a lockdown. So all yeah. the different versions of I a lockdown. On the island, I think we're in the lowest tier. I think we've probably got one of the lowest rates in the country from what w- I've seen. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Because I feel like on on the island, even if you had a COVID outbreak, I feel it would burn itself out really, really quickly. Those who survive will survive, and those who die will die, and then that'll be it. Well, I think we had a bad month in October, but um, but we've had 113 cases on the island in October. But I think when you compare that to anywhere else in the country, that's low. I mean, we only had two cases in the whole of July. But 130 so cases, compared that, to July, it's not good. That, that's but, that's 0.01% yeah. of, the, of the population of the island, I think. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are still not going out at all. A lot of the elderly folk are not going out at all. Yeah. 
afterwards. So they're still shielding rigorously. Well, so, yeah, if, if you would like a lovely place, <laughs> so if you like a lovely place to wait out the pandemic in, the Isle of Wight. Could we suggest the Isle of Wight, especially the West Wight? Nobody will come anywhere near you. <laughs> you can isolate to your heart's content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, okay, enough of, uh, of this. So we know that there is some hope for cinema. This is the only film any one of us has seen in the cinema this week. What was it? Uh, so, what film did you get to see, and what did you think about it? I went to see uh, The Secret Garden, which is an, uh, the, the latest adaptation of the, the novel by Frances Hodgson Burnett. And it's one of those films that they're simultaneously releasing it uh, at cinema, selected cinemas, those they can find. And I think it's on Sky Cinema. You can pay to watch it on Sky, I believe. Uh, which I don't pay for films on Sky. Yep. So I thought I'd go to the cinema to see it. Well, and yes, as an adaption, a brief summary of the story. The story is, the book is set in the turn of the century, India. There's a young girl, Mary, who has grown up with her parents in British Raj, India. There's a cholera pandemic, and she, her parents get killed of, the, of, the, of cholera, they die. Yeah. And the servants flee, and basically she's left alone in the house in India. And then after her being on her own for a couple of weeks, sort of eating scraps and drinking puddles and stuff, um, she is found and then she's sent to her only living relative, which is an uncle who lives in this isolated manor in the moors. And so, in so England. far the same in England, yeah. and the moors in England. And there she lives with her uncle who doesn't know her at all. And it's a big rambling estate on the edge of the of the York, the north yeah. northern Yorkshire moors. Yeah. And while she's there, they basically say, you know, don't poke around. You know, you haven't got a governess, you haven't gone to school, but just you know, keep out of our way, and we'll give you your meals, we'll feed you, but you know, get out of the way. Yeah. And so she starts exploring the gardens, and she comes across this hidden garden, and magical things start to happen, as the garden blossoms, so does she. And whilst she's exploring the gardens and exploring, you know, this sort of new freedom that she's found, uh, she makes a couple of friends. One of them is a little a little boy called Dickon, who is a little bit fey. So he's one of his children who sort of wanders the moors and he has more in common with animals and birds than he does with people. Yep. And the other person she meets is her cousin Colin, who she didn't know existed, but he is has been convinced all his life that he is an invalid and he's going to die young, mm. and they, that he believes he can't walk, that he's got a hunch, that he's deformed, and that he's you know everything is is potentially dangerous to him. Yep. So Mary meets her cousin Colin, and eventually by telling him how wonderful it is in her garden, she persuades him to come outside for the first time in his childhood. And then the, the magic of the garden begins to have its effect on him as well. All right. Uh, so that is the story. The only differences between the book and the, the film is this film, they've changed the time period from turn of the century British Raj to 1947 partition in India. So they've jumped forward about 30 30, 40 years. Yep. So it's set in 1947, so it's post-World War. Mm -hmm. So I can un and so when her parents still die of cholera, Mary Lennox is left alone in the house 
Um, but it's because of the disruption of partition that she isn't found initially. There's, oh, yeah. There's so much going on that she sort of falls through the cracks. Yeah. And then they send her home on a ship where, where they're repatriating a lot of the British subjects who are living in India who are now no longer welcome. So she's part of this sort of refugee convoy that is sort of heading back to Britain after the Second World War. All right. So the change of date has a makes a subtle difference in the storytelling because, again, in the first book, it's all about innocence and and the sort of the renewed of a rejuvenation of nature. Yep. And what the writer didn't know then, but what we know, was that the First World War is looming, you know. Yeah. Within five years, well, within ten years of this book, they're going to be, these children are going to be plunged into the First World War. So that casts a shadow over the innocence of the book. So I can understand that by moving it after the wars, this sort of sense of hope and renewing and rejuvenation um, is a bit more hopeful. You don't suddenly have the shadow of a, of a war that the writer didn't know was coming, but yeah. we knew was coming. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have that shadow looming over the story. So it sort of frees it a little bit of that that sort of foreshadowing. It, uh, but yes, it's a story of innocence and youth and how nature can be rejuvenating. Yeah, yeah. So, so with this, I mean, obviously, we, uh, we, 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 there's, there's times when we all we become cliches of ourselves. So, yeah. with you, if it's something that used to be a book and it's now a film, Sharon will yeah, watch I'll it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon will watch it. If it's animated, Tozer will watch it. If it's a western, Sean will watch it and talk about how it's not as good as the Wild Bunch. So, <laughs> so it's like. So, so, so obviously this is this is right up your alley. But what did you think yeah. about the film as itself, as as a film? A film as itself. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I again, when you go into a film, sometimes you can't help but compare it to other films you've seen or other television versions you've seen. But so taking all that away, watching it as it's in its own entirety, I think it was done really charmingly. Mm. Mary Lennox in again, I can't help but refer to the book. She's called Mary Mary, quite contrary in the book. Oh, that's, that's where that comes from. Well, no, but um, it isn't. But the children tease her with that because okay. where she's sort of spiky and a bit cross all the time, yeah. all the other children just nickname her Mary Mary Quite Contrary. And so Mary Lennox has to be unlikable at the beginning of the book, of the film. She has to be this child who she feels that her parents don't love her. Mm -hmm. And so she reacts by being just an unpleasant little girl. Yeah, And so she is <laughs> and then you see that the by exploring the grounds by making friends with the robin and making friends with a stray dog um you know it draws out the best of her and so as a child you're watching you're thinking yes children do get angry and they are like ah sometimes so <laughs> it's it's you can identify because they're too often in film children are sickly sweet I don't yeah. think they mean them to be, but they can become sickly sweet. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she's not. She's a bit like, ugh. And so, yeah, so you, yeah, they did. The gardens were beautiful. Um, Dickon was sort of suitably, he wasn't quite so fey as other Dickens I've seen, but he was one of these ch children who you know, communicates with animals and birds. And Colin was suitably, you know, I'm going to die, so you have to do what I say. And Mary Lane's like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> And I won't. So you have that contrast between these three children. So to me, it worked well. I enjoyed it. I I thought it was, was really beautifully filmed. The set of the house was suitably daunting for a child who's been grown up in India. Yeah. The landscape was suitably alien. It's not exotic 
in a way that you would expect you know it's, it's not gonna there's not tigers lurking in those those long grasses yeah. there's you know, there's robins and wood yeah. lice and uh, a shaggy dog so <laughs> yeah it was to me it was charmingly done and i enjoyed it all right and how many stars would you give it so uh for me i would give it a four star review Oh, oh, four star of uh, that's not bad for a modern, a modern adaptation of something that you like, you quite like. Four stars, not bad, yeah. not bad. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, but, they did vary from the book a lot, but that didn't matter in this context. You separated from the book, and it was fine. It was fine. All right, so four stars, cinema, cinema. You might be, you might be a bit peedly at the moment. You might be a bit weak. You might be on your last legs, but you're still punching. You're still coming up. Still deliver. You can still deliver. Still coming up, (laughs) Virgin. And so that is our cinema offer for this week. And we have two things from um, Netflix. I think they're both on Netflix this week. And I think uh, I will take. Oh, oh, actually, the the second thing that the second thing that you watched is another adaptation of a well-loved book (laughs) of a well-loved book which is on netflix this week and we will get to that we'll get to that it is both a a lovingly adapted um it's a it's both a well publicized no was celebrated is what i'm looking for a well-celebrated book it's both a well-celebrated book and also a well-celebrated film has already been made from this and somebody decided to go back and try and make a modern version of it let's see we'll see how they did in a second but first i'm going to talk about shit's creek now I've seen the, the thumbnails, but I've not seen, not watched it. Yeah. Now, Shit's Creek is a show that has hit the headlines recently because of the Emmys or the Pandemies, as they were called this year. They, the Shit's Creek won like everything when it came to comedy. It won the best comedy. It won the best actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, director. It, it just, it just swept, it swept the board. And Shit's Creek was a show that I started watching a couple of years ago. I started watching season one because it showed up on, on Netflix. I thought two things oh that's a funny title uh, because it's um you can see what they've done there because it's shit is spelt s-c-h-i-t-t yeah and it, i'm glad you said that because i'd be like how would i say that <laughs> i'd have to do it like with a french accent or something and go yeah. oh it's <laughs> yeah yeah no, you don't it, pronounce the yeah, no, yes no. at all <laughs> it, it's no, it, the, the funny thing is that it is actually it is actually a legitimate name there are people with this name because when this show when this show was being made uh, as you can see i've done the usual thing i've watched the show then i've gone on a wikipedia rabbit hole just to find out a little yeah. bit more so when this show was being made the network executives wanted them to change the name of the show and they were like no you can't have the name of that show you cannot call the show that and so they had to go and find people who were legitimately called who legitimately had the last name shit they add so they said look it is an actual name get over yourselves <laughs> so so what you're saying that these people's name is is is, is profane or is it can't be no no it's their name it's it's what it is so um yeah and so it swept the board and i started watching this a couple of years ago i watched a couple of episodes i think i got probably about three episodes in and i went oh well yeah well it's i i I, I, essentially, I was like, oh, it's all right, but it, it's a bit of a curio because, A, the title I thought was funny. B, it has Eugene Levy in it and Catherine O'Hara, and I will watch those mm-hmm. people in anything. And, and uh, but, but I thought, oh, it's not that big a deal, and I just stopped watching it. And 
then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I'd totally forgotten about this show. Like, I, I expected it to be a one-season show, and it just totally forgotten about it. It, didn't, it even stopped coming up on my continue watching on Netflix list. It stopped. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, I hear it's winning all these Emmys, and it's done six seasons. I'm like, what? It did six seasons. I did. So I decided to go back and start watching this and see, okay, exactly what was it that I missed? What was it that was so great about this show that I missed the first time around? And... Um, I think I started two weeks ago. I've watched all six seasons. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched all six. It's an easy watch. Shit's Creek is a very easy watch. And the basic idea behind it is you have a family, the Rose family, and they are they live in New York. They are big moguls. The father has like, you know, uh, oh, he has like this. Essentially, they're the kind of people who go to the Met Gala and they have like, you know, big, massive... Um, Christmas parties that celebrities and the hoi polloi and the glitterati of New York come round to. And in the first episode, you find out that their business manager has absconded with all of their money. Like, he's taken everything. So they go from being right at the height of rich, essentially American royalty, if you could call it, to being flat broke. And they have all the assets have to be sold off. So in the first episode, they're coming to the mansion and they're taking everything. And the the only thing that the only things they can keep is what they're wearing on themselves. So you can see the mother, played by Moira, uh, played by Catherine O'Hara, called Moira Moira Rose, wearing all of her jewelry and going, "No, no, my wigs, leave my wigs," <laughs> and all that. And they get and they go explain to them that the only the only asset that they have left is a town. And they never tell you where this town is. They they never tell you where this town is. But they tell that the only asset that they have left is a town that the father bought for the son as a joke because he thought the name was funny. And that town is Shit's Creek. <laughs> so that's the only place that they can go. So they, they go because they've lost everything. That they have. They've lost their, their houses, their cars, their money. And they show up in this town. And the mayor, they meet the mayor. And it's kind of like, you know, the whole almost fish out of water thing or somebody from the city goes to a rural town and it becomes that kind of comedy. They end up living in the motel because the mayor goes, oh, you own the town. Well, we'll put you up in the motel. It's the only place they could stay. And it becomes this thing about these people. Apparently, uh, because the show was created by Dan Levy, who is um, who is Eugene Levy's son. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's great. And his whole thing, his idea for the show was, what would happen if the Kardashians lost all their money? <laughs> that was his thing. It was like, what would happen if the Kardashians lost all their money? So you have the different characters. You have the father, who was Johnny Rose, who who built this business. You have Moira, Moira Rose, who is an actress. She used to be on a soap opera, but she's she's older now. She's out of the limelight. You have the son, who is um, David, David Rose, who is kind of like spoiled brats, little kind of... Uh, it's it's like is he gay isn't he we don't really know and they play a lot with that throughout the whole show and you have um the daughter uh the daughter alexis who is essentially paris hilton <laughs> and and it's about them being in this small town and what uh, what goes on and as a comedy i don't think it is laugh out loud funny but it's one of these shows that as you go through like Essentially, especially with Netflix's play next episode, play next episode, play next episode, play. Yeah, you will easy. burn through the episodes before it's you realize what's going on. Really hard to get out sometimes, isn't it? It's like it, you, it is. As soon as an episode starts, you're like, oh no, it's started. <laughs> yeah, like oh, okay. <laughs> That's uh, another half an hour gone or another uh, hour gone. I will just submit. 
I will submit and just lie here and let it wash over it's me. Think, oh, that's because like, just don't look, don't look, don't look. He's, oh no, I've looked. That's yeah. it. I've got to watch it now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it, it's one of those things where I think it's it's a show that isn't so much about the situation or anything as it is about the characters, and it's about the characters and it's about what losing all their money does to them and it's about what being in this small town does to them and in the best way possible because i understand that saying this might sound like the oh, just want to throw up right now <laughs> and in the best way possible it's about how they end up becoming better people oh yeah it's about how they end up becoming well, better people. i don't mind corny yeah yeah it's <laughs> it, it it could be corny it it could it it could be corny but the genius and i use yeah uh, yeah, the yeah. the genius of Shit's Creek is making that um making that <sighs> journey that they go through. Make the genius of it is making it seem normal and making it seem right and making it not not feel massively massively corny so that these people even though when they show up they are all varying levels of terrible. <laughs> so like, you're still you're still saying, "Oh, I wonder what happens. Wonder what happens." And there is a little bit of I know that they how they said in the TV show Seinfeld, they had a, a rule. They said no hugging, no learning. That these people will not learn anything. They will they will remain the same all the way through. And I think Shit's Creek, the final season, which is season six, by the time you get there, the I I think it won all these. Um, accolades not because it's laugh out loud funny because it, it actually ends up being a little bit of a comedy tra- comedy drama but i think it's because of the way it actually tackles things because the uh, it, i know it has a massive following it has a massive following in the lgbtq um f- th- because of the way it portrays the character of david because the character of david they have this whole talk that they have this speech that he gives in the first season where he talks about um he he talks about someone says uh, you know it's, it's using that euphemism like like I'm really into red wine but I thought you were into white wine and he goes <laughs> oh I like red and I like wine uh, it's like it's like and sometimes I like rosés and sometimes those and he goes I'm into the wine not into the label and yeah and so and so because of the way he puts it I think it, it's and he comes across as Okay, there's a lot of times when you can see shows that are made with, be it an LGBTQ character in it, or let's say a character that is and somehow has been oppressed in some way. It could be a black character. It could be like a woman who is a leader. And everything that they do in it is really about trying to tell you why this person is so right and why you are wrong for not wanting this to be here. And if you don't think this way, then you're a terrible, terrible, terrible person. And I think Shit's Creek doesn't do that. It just shows these people and shows how they're living their lives and shows how they well it shows the, those sort of character. Well, David, David is pretty much the key, the first, the main character of the show. He, he he isn't really, he isn't really, but but he is kind of <laughs> he's kind of the main character. And I just think that it's it's a show that catches you off guard with some really really heartfelt moments and catches you off guard with. There's a bit in it where they do things like. They, um, they, there's a, there's in one of the seasons there is a, there is a, the, the whole thing is that they're trying to put on a production of cabaret, and they have bits where they show you their production of cabaret that makes you go, you know what, I want to watch that production of cabaret. Like yeah. they, they come out and they do the the opening number, and you know the welcome and bienvenue, welcome, yeah. and they show you that, and you're like, oh my god, that's that's actually really good. That's and, really. Well- 
And and then one of the the actress who plays Stevie Bud, who's the owner of the motel that they end up staying at, who is um, played by an actress called Emily Hampshire. She delivers an amazing, amazing rendition of Maybe This Time from Cabaret, which just... Oh, that's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant, Fantastic song. brilliant song. And she does it a different way from... like The way the way she it's done, it's talking as much about the character of Stevie yeah. as it is about the character of... What's her name in Cabaret? Sally Bowles. Yes. As Sally talk, Bowles. I talk about the character Sally Bowles. And she doesn't do the Man- Liza Minnelli belt it out thing. She does... No, she, no. She does it more. It's more kind of like almost like a spoken thing, but it so works. Yeah, it yeah. so works, and so I really, really like the show. I really like the way it goes about doing things. I really like the way about how it says almost kind of like this is the way we think the world should be. It it, it presents terrible characters, <laughs> and it presents terrible <laughs> characters like and after and after a while, it just makes you think. You know what? Shit's Creek might be an alright place to hang out. And um, so I would give the show, and this is all six seasons because I've seen all of them, uh, four stars. Four stars. Wow. It, yeah, Shift Creek is really good. As to, as to whether it deserved all the Emmys, I think by the time it got to the sixth season, there was just so much goodwill about the show that people didn't care if it was funny. They just thought there was just so much goodwill and just wanted to see good things happen for these characters, which is, considering where they started out, is quite an achievement. <laughs> Right, cool. And now, after I've finished waxing whatever about Shit's Creek, it's now time to go to that film we're talking about that you saw on Netflix that was a celebrated book, got turned into a celebrated film made by Alfred Hitchcock, no less. And then Ben Wheatley decides, you know what? I'm going to dip my wick in and I'm going to try and make another version of that. And that film is... Rebecca. Rebecca. So we have a new version of Rebecca starring Army Hammer stepping into Laurence Olivier's shoes and Lily James stepping into... Hang on, what was it? It wasn't Vivian Lee, it was the other one. It was uh, Joan Fontaine. Joan Fontaine, yes. <laughs> she was the um, oh, second oh, Mrs. De Winter. Yes. Laurence Olivier was Maxim De Winter. Yes. And Judith Anderson was Mrs. Danvers in the Hitchcock film. And now it's, it's Kristen Scott Thomas, isn't it? Chris has got Thomas as Mrs. Yeah. Danvers. Yeah. Okay. Bang and on. I, yeah. I, I'm there. I'm. I am there for that. <laughs> so tell I, us. Tell us. What, what do you think about this version? They have got. They are up against some big guns. They I are. Think, they are. When they have, I think you have to separate. I think the different incarnations of Rebecca, because you've got the book, and then you've got the Hitchcock film, and then you've got sort of the different interpretations since then uh, so for me the definitive film version has always been the Hitchcock film but it is different to the book mm-hmm. it's, there are some key actually some essential differences um, that they've had to do to accommodate the 40 cinema that are just not in the book Yeah, uh, and so I would say kudos to this version in that it's more or less it's gone back to the source material it's gone back to the book yeah, and so there's some dip. So if you were looking, if you'd only known the Hitchcock film, you'd go, "Hey, God, that's not right. They changed that." <laughs> like, well, no, 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 they've gone back to the book as a source material. So in that way, I say, yeah, kudos to them because they have gone back to the source material. They've said, you know, I'm going to adapt this book as if it's never been made into a film before. All right. Even though I've personally seen five different versions of Rebecca over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so saying that, anyway, the story is a young young girl she's only supposed to be 19 so I think she's probably been aged up a little bit by Lily James she's not 19 
Uh, so anyway, young girl, she's acting she's, as a paid ladies' companion for this most ghastly American, Mrs. Van Hopper, mm-hmm. who, is, who is having a, a summer holiday in Monte Carlo. And it's whilst in Monte Carlo that um, our nameless heroine is basically her dog's body. She does all her errands. She is, does everything you know, that a paid companion would do. And staying at this hotel is the mysterious Maxim de Winter, mm-hmm. who has recently been bereaved. He's lost his wife and he is seeking solaces in the flesh pots of Europe um, by just. The flesh going... pots? That's what they used to call it in the 1930s. Flesh, um, the pots. flesh pots? The flesh pots of Europe. <laughs> yeah, that's where the decadent wealthy would go to sort of, you know. <laughs> spend their time <laughs> I love talking to you Sharon <laughs> I, I learn something every day <laughs> so this is okay. 1930s 1930s Monte Carlo so it's at the height of its glamour yes if one, if, one, if you're in Monte Carlo then you are wealthy yep. you know you are the, the, the sort of bright young things of the day yep and so and then in comes this Maxim de Winter who's a, a widower he's 42 he's fabulously wealthy he owns this amazing house in the British countryside in Cornwall called Mandalay yep and whilst on in Monte Carlo this the young they stumble upon each other they they, they make their acquaintance with each other and they fall in love Maxim de Winter falls in love with this shy young girl who is the absolute opposite of everything that his former wife was and in a rash moment, where everyone else calls it a rash moment of madness, he, instead of her going back to New York with her employer, with Mrs. Van Hopper, he says, you know, marry me. Um, I'm asking you to marry me, little fool, is the, the famous line from the book. And he, he marries her out of hand, and then he takes her back to his ancestral home in Mandalay. And there, it is run, the house is run by the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who was, who was the favourite of the previous... Mrs. De Winter, whose name is Rebecca, mm. and Rebecca, uh, that's why her name is the name of the book because you never see Rebecca. She's dead. She died before the book was made. But her presence fills every room in the house. Yeah, her presence is on every page of the book. You know, it's Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. So you never know the name of his second wife. Her name is just insignificant because it's all about Rebecca. Yeah. And so she goes into this house, which is inhabited by his former wife in all intents and purposes. And then, you know, things start to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and her life, it, seem, it seemingly unravels. And then a big reveal comes, which is seemingly is the end of all of her hopes and dreams. Yeah. And then it's how she reacts to this big reveal that defines the story. Right. Okay. Does it break her or does it make her? Oh, okay. So, so, all right. So we have all that. We have all that. So we have now. We now have all these, all these hardy, hardy fools who have come in and decided to try and remake a classic. So, yes. yeah, Ben Wheatley, director. Army Hammer as Maxim the Winter. Lily James as Nameless. <laughs> Chris Scott Thomas yeah. as Mrs. Danvers. Uh, how did they do? I think. They did really well to a certain point. Oh. But I thought they were very good point. in that the bit that that Hitchcock dodged in the film, the original, the film from 1939, they put it in. So there was no fudging that. They, they, um, it involved Rebecca. A scene, a key element with Rebecca, they didn't dodge it. There was no escaping it. There's no fudging that. So they dealt with that really, really well. But 
instead of this being like a psychological drama, like you know this sort of like the, this sort of possession in all intents and purposes yeah. by Rebecca. Yeah. They made this film. It was about it's a love story between this young girl and her or this older man. Yeah. It's like that's what they made this film about, and it's their relationship is the heart of the story. And it, it, to me, that isn't what the book is about. That isn't really what the story is about. It's not about this young girl falling in love with this older man. It's about you know the battle between you know these two women. The, the specter of this, this of this woman who is no longer around. Of this one versus who, the, yeah. yeah. There's a battle between these two. It's not about the men and their lives, respectively. It's not really about Maxim. It's about her. She's nameless, but, you know, does she get destroyed by Rebecca or does she make it? So it's how you interpret the book is how you interpret the film. Yeah. And they've interpreted the book one way, and it's become basically love conquers all, you know, not with being a great spoiler. Whereas in the book, I think you could interpret it quite differently. <laughs> so it interpretation so i would personally i think they did a good job it was entertaining but to me it really didn't sort of plunge the depths of where the book really goes the book can go quite dark yeah and i think hitchcock grasped that darkness but then he shied away from the ultimate reveal whereas this one they didn't shy away from it but they more or less you know because he loves me it's all going to be okay. And I, I don't that isn't that isn't Daphne tomorrow. <laughs> okay, for for anybody anybody who might, but who might wonder why I'm laughing so hard, you should go and search through our archive for the review we did of a film called After, and <laughs> and you'll understand why I'm laughing when Sharon talks about her reaction to because he loves me. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, so how many I think stars? It makes them more comfortable. Yeah, I'd give it three stars. Three stars. Three, three stars. stars. I think it makes a more comfortable watch in some ways, but the book isn't a comfortable read. It's not a comfortable book, or and it shouldn't really be a comfortable film. You shouldn't. When you get to certain points, you shouldn't think, "Oh, she's going to be all right." You should think, "Actually, this could go either way." And I never really felt that sense of. Actually, this could this could end her. Yeah, <laughs> I never felt her life was in peril. I never really felt that her sanity was in peril. Yeah, I never really felt that sense of danger. Well, it's absolutely there. Oh, sorry, I lost. Sorry, sorry, sorry. just knocked the phone over. I got yeah, got <laughs> into the yeah. So, but so it's a three stars. It's a three star film. So it's worth a watch, but don't expect great things. All right. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna to have to watch that with my wife because she is a she knows the book Rebecca, and um yeah. So she so instead of me reading the book, I can just watch the film and she can tell me all the bits that are not right. So so I, I think with that we get we come to the end of our little bite sized version of Netflix Cinema today. Sean, if you are listening, we hope you're doing well. We hope that appendix area the whole operation site is going well and we hope that you've read many many books we hope one of them is rebecca <laughs> i didn't take that one into him so <laughs> we might have to remedy that and we might have to yes uh, we hope that you're back with us soon uh, for for everybody else who is listening to this if you can go be one of 30 people and stay well away from them <laughs> in a cinema <laughs> in a cinema watch something and i think i think i think my my daughter might be getting to the point of letting me actually leave the house and when that happens i too will go to the cinema on a weekend to the audience and watch something because watch something. yes 
Uh, I, I've actually get. I think I want to see Pixie. The the sort of like Irish. on it right. Yeah, it looks. It looks like it's an Irish version of a Guy Ritchie movie. It looks like it's like an Irish lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, or an Irish snatch, okay. or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah with uh, Olivia Cook in the in the lead, and Alec Baldwin as an Irish priest. Yeah. <laughs> I like Baldwin. You know he's going to be saying Begara at some point. So. Well, well, the thing is because I, I like Baldwin. I mean, they, they make fun of it in Team America: The World Police. They go, "He's the greatest actor in the world." And to be honest with you, Alec Baldwin is awesome. Alec Baldwin is yeah. a very and he is. He is good at pretty much almost anything you give Alec Baldwin to do. He, I remember I remember watching 30 Rock, the TV show 30 Rock, and there's a scene in which he does where in, in the space of about two minutes, he does about four or five impressions because he's supposed to be acting like he's supposed to be a conduit for all these different spirits of dead people. And he does about four or five impressions and you're like, oh my God. God, this guy, <laughs> he's so good. Good, yeah. yeah. So, and from the trailer for Pixie that I've seen, he does what sounds to me as a non-Irish person, and I know this can end up being yeah. insulting, he, as a passable Irish accent. Like, I have Ooh. met people who sound like that. He doesn't sound like, you know, your typical American trying to do an Irish accent like Brad Pitt in The Devil's Own, which just oh. goes, oh. no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> that, no. see, this brings us full circle to where we started our, our podcast in that um, I watched an interview with Alex Baldwin and he has got some young children even though he's had a sort of second family later on in his life and he showed one of his young children a picture of him when he was in Beetlejuice and they took one look at it and went that's not you daddy <laughs> 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 and he shared this moment well, on this YouTube interview and he was like just like it didn't look anything like me. I, I used to admit it. It didn't look anything like me. But they all went, that's not you, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is my future. <laughs> that, is, that is my future. I I can see it happening now. <laughs> all right. So until next week, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And if Sean was here, I'm pretty sure it would be a goodbye from him too. We will see you next week when hopefully we'll see something else in the cinema. Bye. Yes. <laughs>